do you recommend as a, um, a rule of thumb, best practice to turn off your computer every day? Nah. I don't usually. Some some people do and are very, um, I don't want to say OCD because that doesn't seem quite fair, but some people are very particular. That's a better word, right? Particular about that sort of thing. But on a Mac, there's almost no reason to, to do that unless you're experiencing some kind of a weird buggy issue. Sometimes restarting your computer can, can help with that. But other than that, there's no reason to turn it off. Yeah, I, I notice if I go too long, mine will start slowing down. But if I let it let it rest like the old soul that it is, it'll, it's like it, um, it kind of like writes itself a little bit. But that won't be the case for much longer. Well, and one of the things it does sometimes when you restarted it, is it restart it, is it will dump everything out of the memory, out of the RAM. So sometimes if you've got a ton of tabs open and all this stuff that's happening, you could just shut all those things down, but you could have other apps open and you don't even really realize it. So really when you restart your computer, all it does is close all those things down, dump it all out. Right. And the reason that matters is that when you run out of RAM, or when your computer needs more RAM than you have, it starts using your 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 hard disk storage, your hard drive, which on a MacBook Air is still faster than one of those spinning disks, but it's a lot slower than RAM is. So right, makes sense. Yeah, I whenever I have the opportunity, I'm like, okay, what can I close? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> which of these tabs can I close? What apps can I close and go by? I... Have you ever used one tab? It's an extension. It's a Chrome store. You know, it's a Chrome extension, but it obviously works in Brave. So you install the extension, and when you click on it, it takes all of your open tabs, and it it gets rid of them all. It not, doesn't get rid of them all. It puts them all onto, like, one page. So that way, like, if I start a new set of browser tabs and I save those, it'll save them as the next. So I can have all these different groups, if that makes sense. Okay. I like that because you, know, you could have one. I could have one for each article I'm working on yeah. or each project I'm working on or all my Trello boards or, okay, that's another thing to play with. Sometimes <laughs> you just have to dump everything so that you can focus on something else, but you want it. But the reason you leave all the tabs open is because you're like, I'm going to get back to them eventually. I need them all. <laughs> I need all this information. Right. So that way you can keep all that, but not have it be like in your face. So there you go. There's a little bonus. <laughs> Our youngest, he likes to, when he's on a class, a Zoom class, rearrange all of the people. I didn't even know you could do this. Did you know that in Zoom, if you drag a person, you can drag them to a different spot? I don't know if it works with only two people. It probably doesn't. But if you have like yeah, eight just people. No, it does. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. It does. So he <laughs> likes to do that, and he'll rearrange all the people. But... If you're, you know, we have a little round table. The boys sit on opposite sides and like whoever, whichever of us are in there, we'll, we'll sit sort of between them. So you can't actually always see what's on his screen. So I'm like, what are you clicking on? He just keeps clicking on things and clicking on things. I'm like, stop clicking. Every once in a while, sometimes I like to pin a person and just see what they're doing and then unpin them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The joys of uh, the joys of, you know, meetings. On I can't wait to use the virtual background because I can't right now. On, on uh, my, yeah, it's my not machine, fast but enough. I will be able to. So anyway, like I know we can. That was a little 
fun intro. We got a little tip there too that I want to try. Um, but how I know I feel like it's been a little bit since we talked, even though we did record last. It really week wasn't that long. Had, no, but we had this whole like four day break of holiday. So um, how did yours go for Thanksgiving? Um, I made a turkey, and my family says it was the best turkey that they've ever had. Oh wow! But it's definitely the best turkey I've ever made. But that's because it's the only one I've ever made. It's literally the only time I've ever cooked a turkey. I've cooked a ham. I think I probably mentioned that last week. Um, but I have never cooked a turkey. But it turned out pretty well. I didn't do anything fancy with it. I did not use a basil pesto rub. And the only reason is that um, I wanted to increase the likelihood that some of the small people in our house might eat mm, it. Yeah, I'm not offended. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'd figured on the first time around, I should just keep things easy. So I just found a Food Network recipe. And the only thing that that was a problem is it said, it, basically you turn the oven to 500 degrees, you put it in there, you do some stuff to it first, but you put it in there, you cook it for an hour, turn off the oven, and then leave the turkey in there until your oven cools out down to room temperature and don't open the door. So there's a problem. And it said it would take like four to six hours for that to happen. Well, our oven, it did that in like two and a half hours. So it's like, ooh, that seems a little bit like if someone tells you this recipe will take four to six hours and it takes two and a half hours, you're like, there might be a problem. And then what's worse is you can't temp a turkey after it, you know, it's been sitting in the oven. It's not at its maximum temperature anymore because the oven has cooled down, right? So imagine if you just left turkey sitting on the counter. It might have cooked all the way, but by the time you stick the thermometer in it, how do you know if it cooked all the way, right? Because it's no longer at its maximum temperature. So I had to turn the oven back on and put it back in for an hour to make sure it got to 165 degrees right? so that no one would die. <laughs> it's bad enough that you know you're worried about catching covid it'd be terrible to just because we got salmonella instead <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so but it was good we had a, our own little thanksgiving adventure cool. you so. have enough people in your house to have like a pretty you know oh yeah we festive do. thanksgiving so we we have six, six of, of you, us so. so how about you guys uh we went over to marcus's families for a little bit there was maybe eight of us there, including my kids. But we had everyone kind of like seating per household, you know, especially while we ate. So we were spread out. And, you know, my kids are so used to wearing their masks, so they just kept them on besides when they were eating. And that's just what they're used to. But I am – oh, and I – and I made my homemade macaroni and cheese and a green bean casserole that I uh, – recipe that I got last year. And those went over really well. There wasn't much left, especially of the mac and cheese, which – Good. If you don't like mac and cheese, I don't understand you. I, yeah, <laughs> like, I, we're big mac and cheese people. I'll have to give you the recipe sometime. But I, I pretty much, I just make it by heart. It's my grandmother's recipe. is like handed down over generations, so I don't use an actual recipe. Um, for, like, I don't, that's how I, I learned how to cook from my dad. And I'll look at a recipe, and I, like, get a feel for it, and I put it away, and I make it how I want. Right. Like, I love to cook, so. Now, and I, the rule is if, if we're going to make homemade mac and cheese here, it has to be better than Stouffer's because Stouffer's is pretty good mac and cheese. Do you have, have you ever it, seen it? It is. It really is. Uh, it's that it's creamier than what I make. And some people like a creamy base and like a homemade one is like the cheese is like all in there. It's like I make the, the sauce from it by itself and then it's topped with some other stuff and you know, breadcrumbs and whatnot. Right. But, gotcha. Uh, 
Yeah, well, I mean, anyway, the best macaroni I ever had in my whole life, by the way, they don't, I don't think they serve it. <laughs> this is, this is actually, this is funny. So I'll tell the story, but at the signature at the MGM Grand, which is, you know, not the main casino part, but they have the three towers that are sort of set back and I've stayed there. So it's actually my, if I go to Vegas back in the days when, you know, you used to go places, uh, like when I was there for CES in January, that's where I stay. It's a little bit less convenient because you got to walk farther to get to stuff, but you know, you don't have to walk through a casino anyway for room service. They had this lobster mac and cheese and had oh, lobster God, and so bacon good. and all kinds. And it was so good. And it was probably seven years ago, the last time I had it there. And when I was there in January, they no longer had, they actually, they didn't even really have a room service. Like you could only order from their little bistro to go type stuff and they would bring it to you, but it's not like a full room service menu. And I was so crushed. I wished I would have stayed somewhere else because it was such Aww. good macaroni and cheese. No, like I am a big on seafood. My favorite um, every year, my birthday, I have crab legs. A uh, big celebration. Nice is crab legs. Sometimes I just make them at home, or I Postmates crab legs just because I, I want them. And people are like, oh, there's so much work. I'm like, that's the fun of it. It's like when you get a big chunk of crab out. It's and crab and lobster are, are fairly synonymous taste wise to me. Ooh, uh, see, crab is a little fishier tasting than lobster. I think. And yeah, I get. I eat crab more than I eat lobster. I love a good lobster tail too. But, but it's I so like funny. Them both. Whenever my daughter, we ha- we go, we get crab legs or something. She's like, "Ooh, lobster!" And I'm like, "For the millionth time, these are crab legs, not lobster." Yeah. But a, but lobster tail is is easier. It's more. It's less work, right? Because it's larger pieces of meat as opposed to a crab leg. But that's okay. I yeah. My only other lobster story is that there, one time I was. Uh, I had, tra- this was probably, I don't know, eight years ago, but I was traveling for work and I was going to Boston. And when I got to Boston, basically everything was closed except for next door to the hotel I was at was a Ruth Chris steakhouse, which, and it was in a big old building. Like you wouldn't even necessarily know there's a restaurant in there, like a old historical building that had been renovated. At least the first floor had a Ruth Chris in it and they had lobster rolls which mm. if you sat at the bar, like they have a, or like an appetizer, not an appetizer menu, but like not the full, maybe you could order the full thing, but they had a special bar menu. And the thing that was on there was the lobster rolls. It was the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. It was so La- good. The last time I was in New York for work, I stayed an extra day. I actually ended up staying two extra days because <laughs> Cause of the weather. <laughs> oh, it was so terrible. I wish I had been with you and our, one of our other old coworkers. I heard you guys were all plush. And here I was like sleeping on the floor, clutching my <laughs> luggage. <laughs> well, it was like, funny because, yeah, so we had done a, what was it, an on-site. I almost called it a retreat, but a retreat is where you go somewhere else. But when you bring all the people who don't work in the city to the city, it was an on-site and nobody got home. Well, actually, I did end up getting home. I had to drive from Detroit, but um, but and then I had to return the car, I think. But we got to the airport, and it was our it was our old boss, and I was there with her, and her flight was canceled. And I've had a Sky Club membership for a very very long time because I used to travel back in the day when we used to actually go places a lot, and so it was a worthwhile investment to have that, and. I said, well, no problem. We'll go in there. They're, you know, they have customer service people that are much more helpful sometimes than the people at the gate. It's not that the people at the gate don't do a good job. It's just that the, in the club, I mean, that's what they're paid to do is to make sure that you are happy because you're paying to be a part of this club, right? So 
we go in there and and they're like, oh yeah, we'll take care of this. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, this is this is the best traveling experience I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm like, and while we're waiting, just go up, you know, why don't you get a drink? Go up to the bar. Okay, but it's free. Just go up to the bar, get oh a my beer. God. I, do a I wish we would. I wish I would have known that. She's, I don't, she's never going to want to travel sure. normal again. I'm not sure if we were even at the same airport, but the reason I missed mine was because it took over two hours to get to the airport from my lift. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they had a problem with how big my carry-on it was. And it's the same carry-on I'm bringing, bringing every flight. And I was literally like asking people to please let me ahead in the line because I knew my chances were very slim. Yeah. I get there, they had closed the gate, and I'm like, the, the plane is still right there. I'm like, I see it. Just please let me on. They're like, no, sorry. And I like, I just sit there in a chair and I watch it take off. And I'm like, oh. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bad... Anyway, night. we could, yeah, we could talk about that. Um, so look, let's go to number two on our list. Speaking yeah. of the holidays, I'm, we, you know, we recorded last week. Well, on Wednesday, we always record on Wednesdays, but it does feel like it's been longer. It, it really hasn't. We recorded earlier in the day, I guess, but we couldn't obviously talk about Black Friday because it hadn't happened yet, but it has now. So I'm curious if you did any Black Friday shopping or small business Saturday or cyber Monday, whatever. I mean, apparently it was the largest online shopping event ever. And I'm just curious if you found anything exciting or if there's something you're still looking for a great deal on. Yeah. Um, besides you know, the laptop you just bought. Right. Yeah. Well, I got Marcus, the AirPods, which he seems to be really enjoying. Um, I got my, like my parents done with things they wanted. My dad wanted some book and I got him something else. Well, he listens to this. So, uh, you can't anyway. tell him. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I've been having a hard time. Um, and my brother and I just don't. We don't do gifts for ourselves and our kids. It's usually just if we get to spend time together, that's the gift. Which probably won't happen this year, so I'll probably send a card. Um, but I'm having a really hard time with my kids, especially my oldest, who will be 13 two days after Christmas. And there's just nothing I can talk to him like what do you want he's just like i don't know know." so far on his list i have electric toothbrush socks gaming socks that have mentioned gaming like if you can read this i'm you know i'm gaming or something and uh what else Uh, some kind of sweatshirt or something it's just it's the hardest age to shop for because if i just get him gift cards all he's going to do is spend it on xbox and itunes which is not what i want him to do and i want wanted to like for his 13th do a cool experience, take them somewhere, but that's not really something we can do right now either. So I am, I am struggling. I have a spreadsheet going of like all the kids stuff we've gotten them and how much we've spent on each one of them. I'm like, Reese's is really sad. <laughs> that's okay. So, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You know, we'll, we'll get there. We just have to keep thinking about things and a lot of them are going to be more practical, but that being said too, they also, I'm grateful because they have everything that they need and most of the things that they want. So I'm tinkering with the idea of seeing if they want to, you know, like if they would appreciate, if they're old enough to appreciate, if I donated some money to a charity, so something they care about, because I, that's meaningful, but we'll see. I don't want to rain on that parade, but I'm guessing a 13 year old will appreciate that probably less than you, <laughs> than you will, but Maybe, I would agree. Well, it's, it's like my dad idea. said, my dad said, he used to tell me when I was growing up and I didn't like something because, you know, he's like, oh, I'm molding you. I'm molding you to be a good person as an adult. So I would probably use that same line on Reese. I'm like, you couldn't give me anything that you really wanted. So I made this choice for you. Right. (laughs) 
Well, that's a fair point. That's if they don't tell you what they want, then they really can't complain about what they get. So we I didn't do any Black Friday or Cyber Monday shopping really at all. I I'm really thankful that Beth is really good about thinking all that stuff through and usually she'll just be like, What do you think about this for one of the kids? or what do you think about this or whatever? So the hardest thing is getting from her a list of what she wants because she's I love my wife dearly and I'll only say this because I've said it to her and she would agree that she's the hardest person to shop for a gift for oh, really ever. we bought her for her birthday an Apple watch um her birthday was in October so we bought her the SE all right the a smaller version of the SE because she doesn't care about the pulse ox she's a nurse if she wants to know her blood oxygen she'll just stick the thing on her finger right she doesn't right. need the watch for that um and it doesn't have the ekg but again she works in a hospital not a problem um so but she was she almost we had talked about it i ordered it it came and i actually had to give it to her a week early when it came because you only have 14 days to return it and i'm like you have to wear this to decide if you're going to keep it so that I can return it if you don't want to keep it. And I had to actually convince her that it was for our benefit so that when she is at work, if we need to get a hold of her, mm -hmm. she'll get her message. That was the only reason. And I think she loves it now. She's just a very difficult person to find a gift. like Because she doesn't need gifts. That's the thing. She th That's not the thing that really resonates yeah. for her. So well, I also, and I think most people feel this way, I love giving gifts more right. than I like receiving them. If there's something that I really want, I have my own bank account, and if I want it, I'll go buy it. <laughs> I'm right. 36 years old. I don't need it. Like, but, like, my mom will she always say, what do you want? What do you want? I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm like, if you want to give me, get me something, think of something I might like, right. and then get it. But this year, we didn't do that. She wanted a pair of boots, so I bought them for her, and she wanted to make sure they fit. And I was like, well, I really actually need some new boots, too. So I sent her some on Amazon, and it's like, I'm like, well, if you got to wear yours, I can wear mine. So I'm actually wearing them now since you're not, you don't, I'm not allowed to use my space heater under my desk. <laughs> it makes noise. So, so my feet can be warm because uh. it's gotten cold here in Arkansas now, finally. Well, I say cold. Our lows are in the, um, we got down to the 20s at night. Okay. Um, and it's 51 right now. So, but when I come out here in the morning and you can see it's all windows around here, it's cold. And I need that heater under my desk. Um, even if it's sunny, it gets pretty chilly in here. Yeah. So I use the heater, um, or I'm usually that's why I'd usually be like wearing a sweater or something. But it's it's not too bad right now. Um, but as far, um, yeah. My, well, I guess I can say I got already got my mom the boots because she's wearing them. <laughs> so it's not a surprise at this point. I did feel like I did a lot of Black Friday shopping, but only because I I put together an article. It wasn't really about the best deals. It was just about the best gift ideas. And, it, and I tried to think of it from the per perspective of here's a gift that you would give somebody, not necessarily because they have a glaring need, although some of these things do fit the need, but a lot of people who like, here's a meaningful gift that's kind of an above and beyond. And that doesn't mean it has to be expensive. It just means like, if you need a pair of shoes, you should get a pair of shoes. You shouldn't have to wait for someone to give them to you at Christmas, right? Right. <laughs> so if you're going to get a pair of shoes for Christmas... They should be like the shoes you've always wanted, or they should be a really nice pair of shoes, or they should be a pair of shoes you don't actually need, right? That it's just a, it's a gift. That's kind of the point 
and I'm not suggesting that that means that people should just be irresponsible. I'm just saying I tried to think of it from the perspective of a handful of things. And I will say, and this is funny. So um, I, I'll put a link to it because that way I don't have to put a bunch of recommendations in the show notes. I'll just put a link to the article. But I will say that the one thing that's on there that I, it actually made it at the last minute is the we have this thing in our house called a molecule. Yeah, I, was, and, I read the article and I was like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about it for a second only because it's the craziest thing. So we actually have two of them in our house. They sent us they 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 asked if I wanted to review it. And I said, yes, that's great. I'd be happy to review it. Because they had this brand new one, and the reason that they originally sent it, and it was interesting, is because they basically designed and released this thing during COVID, right? During the quarantine. So that that's an interesting story. They have a large one that was for, like, office spaces, okay? And then they have this mini, and that's what they were going to send us. Well, they actually sent us one of each. So we actually have two of these things in our house. We have one up in our living room, and it's it's big, and then we have a small one, and that's the picture in the articles of the small one, and it's actually right outside my office. And we set them up a couple months ago and they basically run quiet and they just sit in the background and they're an air purification thing. And what's weird is how do you know, like there's an app that'll show you the quality of your air, but how do you like know if something like that is working, right? If you buy one of those little incense scent things, um, uh, I know what you're talking about. We have one, you know, if it's working because the room smells good, right? Right. (laughs) Or if you buy a smoke detector, if it goes off, right, you know, yeah. or if you buy a thermostat, you know, if your room is hot or cold, like all those things aren't really exciting, but you know that they're working. How do you know that this thing is working? Well, the other day, um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but someone who was cooking and it wasn't me, but I'm not going to throw them under the bus, burned something pretty badly, like burned up whatever they were making relatively good. And this thing upstairs started whirring up like a jet engine because all of that like it wasn't smoke that you could like see in the house but there was stuff in the air you could smell the stuff in the air and this thing like was doing something (laughs) we hadn't really heard it do something and we're like okay so it actually does work and apparently what it does is it breaks it doesn't just capture all of the it says it will break down bacteria, mold, viruses, allergens, and other pollutants. And it doesn't just like catch them in a filter like your vacuum does, right? When you vacuum stuff, it has a filter in it, whatever. But it actually like breaks the stuff down. And the Where fact- Where does it go? Into a filter, but it okay. like breaks it down. So that way when you take the filter out, you're not like just re-exposing yourself to all of the stuff, right? So it breaks it down and kills bacteria and mold and viruses and stuff. And we were like, well, you know, this is actually a pretty useful thing. None of us have gotten sick yet, thankfully. And like my wife is a nurse, right? So she does three times a week go to a place where there are a lot of people who have COVID, for example. And so it's not a cheap thing, but I actually, I can actually vouch that this thing is actually pretty cool. We didn't realize it was pretty cool until all of a sudden um, one day it started spinning up like crazy. We have joked that we should put it in my office because our dog, who's always in here with me, she has a habit, as dogs do, of occasionally passing gas just to see if it spins up when that (laughs) happens. But anyway, so that was just one of the things that was on the list. And I mean, we won't end up keeping it because it's just something that we're reviewing and it's like $400. And so we we, don't. And then the big one is like $1,200. So we probably won't be buying those. But I will say we've been very impressed with the fact that it is actually doing something. It may not be something that you can see, but at a time like this yeah. where we spend so much time at home, it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to know that the air that we're breathing is safe. We, spent, we have deal with a lot of allergy type issues here, which is probably 
I mean, I, I cough and sneeze a lot. So I would say, like, if it helped with that. But, I mean, we also have five cats. So I can only imagine how fast that filter would could fill up, like our air filter does. Right. And every three months is not a thing for us, really. Usually we replace them. We're like, oh, my God, there's fur coming out of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what happens when you live in, like, a 1,500-square-foot house that and you have five cats. It's like. So, like, our nest thermostat will tell you when to replace it it tells you mm. it, it'll say like it's time and i don't know it might just be because we have one of the original nest thermostats so i don't know if that if it's just hey it's been three months since you said you replaced it so replace it or if somehow it's actually like i can't imagine that would know what the airflow is because it's just a thing on the wall but the i will say that the um uh molecule app tells you like particulate level good meaning there's nothing bad in the air and it'll tell you what your filter level is and i think that if you get it you can actually um like subscribe and every it, it and so what it will do is tell like your app will tell whoever not whoever but the service you're down to 30 percent life left on the filter and then they'll just ship you one so that's cool i am interested in one of those filter subscription services and they send you on eh, at a designated frequency because it's just not something i think of a lot is changing the filter even though it's such a simple thing to do right um, so if someone would just send me one of course i'd pop it off you know pop it open and throw it in there but it's like oh crap uh are you going to home depot today uh <laughs> yeah will you uh get an air filter i have a thing where i hate going to home depot and the reason is not because i don't really like going to stores that much even pre-pandemic but my mom always used to make us go there and I hated it so much. I just hated the store. I hated the way it smelled. And then my brother and I, she'd get off looking at something, same thing she'd do at the mall. And then my she would lose us somewhere in the store and we'd have to go up to the register and have them call her name. <laughs> so you have some traumatic experiences associated with Home Depot. Or just shopping with my mom. She just <laughs> yeah. would like really get into whatever she was looking at. And that was a different time. People. Right. You used to just let your kids play outside all day. It's, it wasn't a big deal. But, I know. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> those, were, those were the days. So anyway, so I will link to that because I there are a couple of, you know, if, you're, if, you, are, if you are someone who has to shop for a tech-inclined person and you have no idea what you should get them, this list, I promise you that anything on this list will make that person happy. I know because I am one of those people. <laughs> and literally there's everything on there from – a $25 smart clock from Lenovo that's actually pretty dumb, but that's a good thing because it doesn't do a million things. It just is a clock that you can talk to Google Assistant without having to navigate a bunch of stuff all the way up to that molecule thing that is, you know, several hundred dollars. So a bunch of stuff. So anyway, so we should move on to some, that was, that was, I don't know if that all qualified as follow up or not, but yeah. Yay for mandatory gift giving. Moving on to move on from the gift giving (laughs) stuff. So let's, we should talk about a couple of things. Um, so let's actually do the, the Slack thing first, if that's all right. Um, so, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Yesterday, Salesforce announced that they were buying Slack and last was it on maybe over the, sometime over the weekend? I remember I texted you. I'm like, so what do you think about this? Because actually it might've even been over. Yeah. It might not have been Monday. It might've been over the weekend that the rumors had sort of started popping up. I think on Friday, maybe that this was a possibility. Um, and I, you know, I'm like, so it, the reason I sent you a text message is one, I know that where you work uses Slack, like a lot. 
yeah. it's a big thing there. And um, while while they don't you know use Salesforce, I know that you it, you write, write about, about it, it a lot, <laughs> right? And they're one of your part one of the partners um, for that site and that kind of thing. And so that's a big deal. Um, so I'm curious if you what if you have any thoughts about the fact that Salesforce has now agreed to buy Slack for twenty seven point seven billion dollars. First of all, I wish I was on the founding team of Slack. Yeah. Um, or just own stock. I mean, yeah, any... own stock in Slack after they went public. But, uh, you know, I'm just curious to see what's going to change um, because it sounds like um, the dude, the CEO, I can't say his last name, right? Benioff? Benioff, he's, yep. Yeah, he's going to stay in charge. And I, right? Yeah. Well, so. He's the CEO of Salesforce. He's actually technically the co-CEO of Salesforce. He's the founder and the chairman. Stuart Butterfield is the CEO of Slack. Yes, Butterfield. Is he yeah. going to keep is he going to stay in control of Slack? That's a great question that I don't know for sure if it's been answered. I didn't see it in any of the research that I did or any of the reporting. Um, but my sense is that at this point, yes. I think I read something that said he was. So I'm curious how much we're just going to have to see how it plays out, how much control they still keep, you know, because as someone that worked at a startup myself, we actually turned down offers before because they wanted to take too much control over the product and the, our process and everything. So I'm really curious to see what, what someone does to it. I have um, a friend that said, oh, I can't wait to see how they ruin it, <laughs> all the ways, the creative ways that they ruin it because... And there was uh, someone mentioned this really long, a mutual friend of ours, a long Twitter thread about people who apparently don't have any idea what it means for Salesforce to buy Slack. They don't know what a CRM is even. Well, so there's a, that's a good point. However, an interesting thing about Salesforce, well, there's two interesting things that you brought up. Salesforce has had a quite the run of, buying some stuff last year they spent 15 billion dollars on tableau which is an analytics like data visualization software so like you use that because you have this enormous database in the cloud and you just know there's all kinds of good information in there but you don't have a good way of figuring out how to do something with that information so that's what that piece of software and they bought it for like 15 billion dollars which is a lot of money for salesforce not not that much compared to what they just spent on slack and that company, I mean, you don't have to use Salesforce to use that, right? It continues to serve its its needs. An even better example is Heroku, which is a like a development platform as a service supporting different programming languages. And they bought them, I don't even know, like seven years ago, I think. I, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but the point is, it's gotten better, but it still runs like it's an independent thing. It, it runs on its own. And so Salesforce doesn't necessarily have the same kind of a history of taking things and making them more like Salesforce, if that makes or sense. Breaking or breaking them. Right. It, <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't. And it wouldn't benefit them because my I've written two for now. I've written two articles about this. And my my thesis in both of them was that uh, actually I've written three articles about this maybe I don't know too many articles about this but my thesis was that Salesforce needs Slack to compete with Microsoft and sales in Slack needs something to compete with 
Microsoft. Because what Slack has is a product that a lot of people really like. I don't really know why. I've never loved Slack, but that's fine. Um, but they 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 don't have the sales and distribution that a big that Microsoft had. So Microsoft tried to buy Slack. They couldn't agree on a price. Actually, Bill Gates kind of scuttled the whole idea. So instead, they just built Microsoft Teams, which comes for free with everyone who has Office 365, which is like every company, right? Every company has it. And so now they're all using Teams instead of using Slack. Well, what does Salesforce have? It has distribution, right? It has distribution to the customers that Slack needs. And Salesforce is facing the exact same threat from Microsoft. Like I've written a lot about CRMs. (laughs) You write a lot about CRMs. Neither of us would have ever recommended Microsoft Dynamics right to a small business. I've used it. I used it at a company a long time ago and I hated it. But here's the thing. For the same reason, if you are a Microsoft customer and your account executive calls you up and is like, why are you using Salesforce? You're already using Office. You're using OneDrive. You're using Azure. You're using all these things. Just use Dynamics and we'll help you integrate it with everything you already have. They're like, oh, that's an easy sell. It'll save me a hundred grand a year or whatever. Salesforce needed something to add value to the package and that's what Slack does. And apparently they have some big plans for it. So I think it makes sense. I think it's really interesting. I think that what will happen is Salesforce will probably make Slack better in the ways that it needs the help, but then leave it alone beyond that, if that makes sense. That would, yeah, that's a best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that they completely change it um, and we don't know no longer know how to use it and we don't like it anymore or you like it even less i'm i'm, I'm cool with slack <laughs> i know so a long time. <laughs> when i wrote my article uh, um it was from this morning um <laughs> i don't i don't know if you read it i won't be offended if you didn't but there's a quote in there from someone that you know um and I reached which, a, which one? I read several of your. I read the Salesforce is spe- uh, I'm talking about the Salesforce is spending 27 yes. billion to buy Slack. I so I don't know if you noticed the quote in there, but I reached out to that particular person because, um, I don't really like Slack, but I happen to know that this person really does like Slack. So I went and got a quote from him. Um, and the reason for doing that is my entire point is that there are a lot of people who really like Slack. It has a lot of affection. It's very well loved by the people who use it and love it across different organizations. And that's what Salesforce was buying was sort of that brand equity. So, yeah, I do see the quote now. I read this article yesterday, actually, and I read the other ones today. So that's why there you go. I didn't remember it was there. Slack is a beloved platform. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that happened in uh, the reason that we bring it up, honestly, is because we just talked about how people there's a lot of people using Slack and, and it's largely people who are working remotely, right? That's kind of the thing. And a lot of people who work remotely, even before the pandemic were already using Slack. So they're very familiar with it, but it certainly affects the lives of people who, you know, and what's interesting is you don't have to work at a company to use Slack. There are all kinds of Slack workspaces that people are a part of. I'm part of a Slack workspace that has nothing to do with work. Right. And so, right. It'll be interesting to see how it fleshes out, but it's definitely relevant to this podcast. So there's that. And it also a great way to talking about uh, what we wanted to talk about with Microsoft. Yeah. So that was the other interesting thing. And this is, I, I, I brought this up because I had written a piece. Um, I don't remember when did it, when did it, when did I publish that piece on 
maybe on Saturday, I think it probably was, because Microsoft had rolled out. This was, They actually rolled this out a while ago, but it really kind of came to the forefront at the end of last week. A new feature called Productivity Score that allows managers, essentially it allowed managers to see everything, how often their employees were doing different things. Meaning, how often are they attending meetings? How many times are they making phone calls? How many or, or Teams calls? How, how many times are they sending chat messages? How many direct messages are they sending? How much time are they spending on video meetings? How many times do they share their screen in video meetings? How many times do they organize meetings? Like all these different metrics. And it literally broke it down by individuals. So I could be like, oh, Jess is not sending any messages. Jess is, mm. Jess is only attending four meetings this week. Jess didn't ever share her screen. Jess was on four ad hoc meetings. Like it gave me all this information. Now, Microsoft's reason for doing this was not purely to be like stalkerish. It was, but it came off that way. Oh, I was absolutely. reading this article like jaw agape. Yeah. <laughs> but especially since it's not opt in. And they tried to say market is opt in, even though it's only opt in for managers, not for individuals. So if you're not a manager, you don't have any choice if your boss chooses to use it. Right. So it's opt in by organization. But like if I'm the IT administrator for the organization and I opt in, boom, we're opted in. And you as a user may never even know that it's happening. In fact, you'd have really no reason to know that it was happening. But I would be getting all of this insight and it would show me all of this data and all of this information. And the purpose was, and this was a funny line that <laughs> that it said in their blog post, um, something like managers could use this to offer people who aren't using certain features training. And I'm thinking that's maybe that's not the reason. The reason someone isn't sending, you know, Teams messages might not be because they don't know how to use it. It's because it's distracting from the work that they're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. And go ahead. And, sorry. Like what? And I one of the things that you wrote in that article that I thought was really spot on was we need to have a conversation about measuring productivity, not by their activity, but what they accomplish. So what have they actually done? What you know, are they meeting their performance metrics or KPIs or whatever? And that was something I said to a, um, a prior boss before I was hired at this company. I said, the only thing that I really ask is you do not that I'm not judged by the amount of time I spend at my desk or at the office, but what what I get done because what it takes someone three hours to do, it might take another person five hours to do, and that's fine. But it's about the output, not how much time you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and clocking in and clocking out and and just I thought that granular activity was pretty wild. Like it sound, almost sounds like it would detract by from someone's time <laughs> if they were spending all that time looking at that data. Well, and one of the things, and ultimately the purpose of it was to give a score to an organization and really like Microsoft's goal was to be able to say like, out of 800 points, your organization is like a 533, which means there's a lot of opportunity for you to better maximize all the tools in Microsoft 365. So whatever, which would matter if you're paying for a, a tool, you want to know like, am I getting the most out of this tool? And here's a binary way, not a binary, but a real finite defined tangible way of saying this is how much you're getting out of it sounds good 
but the problem was then it was broken down by an individual and but it doesn't distinguish necessarily based on role so if you're a writer for an organization you use your time very different differently than someone who is in sales and is making phone calls and doing whatever who uses their time very different than hr who uses their time very different you know so it doesn't necessarily on paper it could look like oh person a did all these things person b did all this stuff jess I, she responded to four messages and attended two meetings this week. What did she do? Well, no, she wrote two articles or, or she did two things or she, whatever it might be. You can't measure productivity necessarily in terms of activity. That That's kind of my point. Right. And that's yeah. a really big deal for people who are working remotely because you don't, you can't always see what they're doing. You can't walk over to their desk and be like, oh, Jess is working on this today. I see that, right? I see she's at her desk. I see she's working on stuff. You You don't have that. So you have to find a different way to measure how is this person being productive. Right. Yeah. And I think the the positive intent is there, but this, the execution is not not so, like you said in, your, in the title of the article, it didn't go over well. No, it didn't. Now, <laughs> I will say real-time follow-up. Well, it's not really follow-up because it, I already knew about this and I, I mentioned it. So... I am working on a follow-up piece because Microsoft has made some changes, which is good. Good for them. It shows that they are, it actually, in my mind, reinforces that their motivation is what they said it was because they have essentially made it, well, the bottom line is they will no longer show individual names, mm-hmm. right? There, there, will not, there will not be any um, usernames associated with any of the activities so that a manager couldn't just go, what did just do this week? Like that's not going to be a thing going forward. It'll still show here's how often your team did these things, but it won't be broken down individually. Um, I, I wonder if it would make Better. sense. I would make, <laughs> I wonder if it would make sense though for them to put a limit on that. So for example, I have a Microsoft 365 account and there are two people in, in the, in the quote organization so here's the thing, even if it only shows the total amount of time spent doing certain things, um, I'm pretty smart. I can figure out how much of it was me and how much of it was not me, right? So at some point, it might even be more useful to be like, this is only available if you have more than three people, because otherwise you can right. still do the same thing. Although, if you only have two or three people, you probably don't care about the productivity score anyway. <laughs> and that's just something I've, you know, I work remote all the time, not just during the pandemic and Something I really have always appreciated is I never feel like someone's over my shoulder. I'm not right. clocking in and clocking out. The what I'm measured by is my my output, what I produce, um, how I you know, how I innovate, how I work with the rest of the team, how I learn new skills, you know, things like that. And if when I'm, that's just my my thing is I do not like harsh oversight. It right. would, like really very much pushes me away. So right. So we had one more thing and I, I don't know why it says Facebook. Actually, I know why it says Facebook because there was the other um, story about Facebook buying a company, but we don't, I, that wasn't what I meant to ha- have on there. What I meant to have on there was the, the LinkedIn, ah. the LinkedIn piece. If that yeah. We texted about this a little bit earlier and I completely agree with you. Uh, every LinkedIn message I almost, I own. Oh, is almost always about spam every once in a while i'll get like a legitimate recruiting opportunity but it's like one i got yesterday uh we see you've invested a lot in your career by looking at your profile and maybe you should get your mb whatever in content management (laughs) (laughs) so 
let me give the slight background on this one. So I had a piece because I was the piece is called this common LinkedIn mistake could be fatal to your brand. Do this instead. And basically the idea behind it was I get messages all the time on LinkedIn and that's great. But LinkedIn is a very, I, the thing I like about it is it is a professional network thing. It's not just Facebook and it's not just Twitter. There's the signal to noise ratio is a little bit better in that you, you're building a professional network. You're not just associating yourself with any, you know, lots of people. Right. So we're in like on Twitter, anybody can see the stuff that you post unless you protect your tweets. So who knows who might respond to you or whatever. Um, and I get, a, I have my DMS open on Twitter because people will send me story ideas. All that stuff is great. If you want to pitch me something, that's fine. Although in my Twitter profile, there's an email address. Please use that because that's how I know if you paid any attention, same thing happens on LinkedIn, except for it's not people trying to pitch me a story. It's people who want to sell me something. So every week I get four or five, 10, 20 LinkedIn connection requests. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I accept them because that's what's, there's no harm in that. And they're almost always immediately followed by someone who's like, Hey, I can help you find more clients for your business, or I can help your website rank higher in Google. And I'm like, uh, there's no website. <laughs> or I can I'm, help I'm, you manage your wealth. I'm like, I'm not that wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wrong person. I, I don't mean to bum you. But the thing is, I used to run a creative agency. I don't. I haven't done that for years. It's pretty clear on my profile that I used to, but I don't. But people are sending unsolicited messages because basically they're just going through like Sales Navigator, finding everyone who has, you know, blank on their on their profile and, and sending those people messages as prospects. And my thing is do a little bit of work, right? Because when you send me that message it's pretty obvious that you're not actually interested in solving any of my needs because that's not a need that I've had for years. And it's obvious by looking at my profile that that's not a need that I've had. So you're just telling me you're interested in trying to sell me something, not actually helping me. Right. And the point that I was trying to make is you could argue that those are free, although like in mail messages are not technically free, but you could argue that sending someone a message is free, but it's not. Because if it hurts your brand, then that's a cost, right? And the reason I brought it up for us to talk about is I think that there are probably a lot of people who are trying to get into, you know, we talked a couple of weeks about weeks ago about getting into freelancing. And I think LinkedIn can be a great way to expand your network in that way. But I think that you should resist the temptation to just start sending people messages because they say editor or, you know, whatever it might be, or, you know, creative director or whatever the role is you think you need to connect with, use LinkedIn more organically to actually build those connections before you start sending messages trying to sell something, even if that something is yourself. Right. No, I agree completely. Um, pretty much every time I get a LinkedIn message, I know it's either something spam or someone that you know, it doesn't have my phone number anymore, <laughs> not connected to me somehow, but, you know, wants to, to reach out. I told him, and I think your point about doing the research is super important. Sure, it takes more time. And you made the analogy kind of a, like casting a really large net and you might get a few really qualified things or a few gems. But how great is that if you have turned off this many people and those, and those people are not going to something that it's something they obviously don't need, aren't in, aren't interested in, and you're not going to refer them to someone else who might because you got a spammy message. I would re never refer someone 
even if they did need the financial wealth services to a spam right. message I got off of LinkedIn. Right. And, and I won't, I won't I'll try not to be too specific, but just so in case somebody's wondering, like, is my message okay? Or is my message not okay? You know, I, I got one where a person says, I really think we should chat. I've seen huge success with business owners like you in the past. Again, that's a red flag. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a business owner at this point. I mean, technically I have an LLC that I use for freelance stuff, but that's not a business I'm running, right? That's more of a <laughs> accounting thing. Um, you know, but whether you're struggling with your business or just can't seem to ignite that spark, a quick chat with me will be a hundred. First of all, that's not even a personal message, right? It's, there's, it's not. And the link that if you go to, it's like a Calendly link. And if you go to it, it's a different person's name than the person who actually sent me the message. So this is like border, you know, not even borderline spam. It's basically spam. And my response back was like, I'm confused. I'm a tech columnist. It doesn't seem like, why would I get, why would I buy prospecting services from you when it doesn't seem like your prospecting is very effective? Because you, you, you're sending me something that's completely irrelevant. Did they write you back? No, she didn't even respond, which I wouldn't have either. I would have been pretty embarrassed. If that had been <laughs> me. But here's the thing, like I'm totally, and I did, I just looked, I'm looking at my messages right now and I, I do get someone who follows up with me about every month from a financial advisory place. Like I, I've had huge success helping other successful people in our community, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need a wealth manager at this point. Maybe if I can find some wealth first, that would be different. But, you know, I don't mind if people send me a pitch like, hey, I'd love to tell you about this AI powered cannabis dispensary. Like, I'm not going to write about it, but I'm not offended because it's at least relevant. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's at least within the yeah realm of things that I've said, please send to me. Right. But ways to help my site rank higher in Google, uh, it Google my name. It's the first thing that comes up what else do I care about? <laughs> right. That's the only thing I need my website to do is if you Google my name, Sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, was that your, was that no, my Google? That was yours. That was, your, was mine. It was me. But I, and I know you've done a lot, you've done freelance work too. And what, like, what are, if you were in the situation of trying to reach out to people who might be able to help you, you know, what would, what is your approach always? Been? Um, it's like to help me, like say I want to pitch them. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to freelance at some place and you want to, and you want to try to make a connection with somebody who can help you make that happen. I, sorry, my armchair just hit my desk. I would stay away from LinkedIn because I view LinkedIn messages as largely spammy just because of the history there. So say, um, I wanted to go write about, I wanted a freelance gig writing about cats because I know everything about cats. I would go, I researched the popular sites, uh, you know, that are cat centric and I, you know, go to the bottom of the page and I look at work for us or, you know, contact us or send us a pitch or whatever it is on there, if that's something I want to do and try to send a, a either like a personalized email or a, a message in a different way. I might try to connect with them on LinkedIn, but I'm not just going to spam them with a message right after. I, I try to stay away from LinkedIn for that. I use LinkedIn more for posting articles that I've written about for liking or reposting articles or um congratulating people on new jobs, uh, you know, things like that. I, that's not a place I go to try to drum up any kind of business or work. Right. My reality. And I think that's a good point. It's, and I think it's unfortunate that LinkedIn is kind of got, at least for you and I'm sharing this experience as well, has kind of gotten to that point where it does just feel like it's, there's a lot of spam happening because I, I think that it, 
it has the potential to be the most valuable place to make those connections because conceivably as a professional network, if it gives you the opportunity to connect with people professionally, and there's so much great information about how to, you know, it wouldn't take someone very long to just look at my profile and be like, Oh, this is what he does. I'll send him this instead of, you know, so it has the potential to be such a highly targeted, highly relevant, even for salespeople. Like I, I was in sales for a really long time. I didn't use LinkedIn at the time because it really wasn't what it is today. I've used it for other projects. It's super effective. The point is simply, you just have to do the work. Just don't, you, you, you know, it, you could find and connect with people who could be a great resource for you. I've gotten quotes from sources on there because that I wouldn't, I don't have their email address. So I sent them a LinkedIn message. It was great because it was relevant. It was appropriate. It was, you know, but yeah, if you just are like, Oh, Jess is a sales writer. I'm going to, I'm going to send her a, I'm going to uh, please write about my thing. That that's, that's never going to happen. So, right. I told you a story recently about how a company I worked for for like five years ago, they sent their, one of the recruiters sent me a message asking if I was interested to go work there. And I emailed the uh, CEO of the company. I was like, I thought this is pretty funny. And he went over to the recruiting department and he said, did you not, do you not look at their profiles? It says right here. <laughs> she worked here for right. you know, that's, two that's years. Hilarious. <laughs> I, I do think that that's actually really funny. <laughs> I almost wanted to say, cause I had the option to say like, no thanks or yes, let's talk. And I almost wanted to put yes, just because I knew it would have gone through and <laughs> would have cracked me up. I mean, she would have gone, you know, whoever this recruiter person was like, look, I got this great lead. And he'd be like, yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> she worked here a long time ago. <laughs> Oh, well, I feel like that's a good place to sort of uh, leave it. Don't try recruiting Jess for her old job because there's a reason it's not her job anymore. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. that didn't sound right. I didn't mean that to sound anything. <laughs> I don't know what job it was, and I don't know the reason. My point is, like, yeah, use it smart. Yeah. There's a lot of great tools. Use it smart. Do a, little, do a little research. You can read for a reason. So, and that kind of brings up things. All automated tools aren't perfect. Uh, there's a reason why humans are still smarter than AI. So that's true. And you know, uh, it's interesting because in, I had, I got a lot of feedback from a piece I wrote a while back about my flight when I went to New York and I guess October and on the way home, actually, I, I think it was when we got to LaGuardia, the flight attendant walked around and handed out these hand, hand handwritten notes. I don't think everybody on the plane got one, but the point is that was a, that was important impressive because someone took the time to actually write something thoughtful. You know, it had my status on there. And I don't care about my status except for the person obviously looked at something. You know what I mean? It had my name on it and contrast that to you stay at a hotel and three days later you get a, thanks for staying here. Would you take a survey? Like that's not personal that no, there was no effort involved in it. That was purely a computer system kicked a thing out as opposed. So that same, that same thing is true in all of our interactions in it doesn't mean you have to send handwritten notes, although I'm a big fan of that, by the way. Um, I will say that if you just go that extra effort, that's that's apparent to someone on the other end. When you personalize something, I actually just read your article today about the cold email, how to send a cold email. And you know, the point is the more personalized and tailored you can make that outreach shows one, why is it relevant to the person that's receiving it? And two, that you cared enough to do the, that's like the thing you cared enough to look 
beyond a list of names. Yeah. And especially in our virtual world, I mean, I used to do e-sales and every sales um, first, you know, introduction was over a Zoom. And at the end of every day, however many demos I had done or whatever, I sent and mailed out personal, you know, thank you for right. meeting with me cards, looking forward to our next conversation. And while that was kind of tedious, <laughs> very tedious to do, it act makes a difference. And I remember going in person to meet someone where I was like presenting to their board or something. And he had a folder of all of our emails and my card, my handwritten card was in this folder that I had sent him. So, you know, I'm also a big fan of the handwritten cards. I don't actually like doing them, but I like, I think that they're very meaningful, especially in a time like right now. I would totally agree. So, all right. Well, we appreciate that you all have spent some time with us listening this week. And, um, we will be back next week.